if there if the prayer meeting is not prioritized or there's not even a prayer meeting in the church or it's poorly attended the first thing that we need to be doing is we need to be praying if there's repentance that that we need to have then let it begin with us asking god for mercy for our own prayerlessness be patient with your brothers and sisters in christ don't get discouraged encourage them um, remember how patient God has been with you in you coming to an understanding of the importance of corporate prayer. Welcome back to the Small Town Summit Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Whittinghill. Our hope is to get you the same rich theology and lived experience that we enjoy at our summits and make it accessible to you wherever you live and minister Our Lord Jesus said that his church would be called a house of prayer for all the nations and has huge implications on us gathering together and praying together as a church. But how do we do that? And how do we encounter the unique challenges to gathering the church to pray in our small towns? To that end, I'm really excited to have Jerry Schumann on the podcast today. Jerry is the pastor at Ludlow Baptist Church in Ludlow, Vermont. He has a passion for prayer and a praying church. So I hope and pray that this conversation is encouraging to you, um, that the Lord would use it to stir in your heart a fresh faith and desire to see his church gather together in his name, to seek his face together in prayer. May the Lord bless you with this conversation with Jerry Shue. Jerry, it is a joy uh, to have you on the podcast, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Well, I always love to begin by giving guests opportunity to introduce uh, themselves. And so can you take a moment and uh, explain to everyone who you are? And uh, I would love to hear uh, a bit of how you came to Christ and how you came to serve him in Ludlow, where you are now. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was uh, raised in a uh, pastor's home in central Minnesota, uh, faithful, loving parents who taught me the gospel from a young age. Um, I have uh, many fond memories of family worship time uh, led by my father and my mom, uh, who homeschooled me all the way through high school, uh, her, her teaching us, um, teaching us the Bible. Uh, memorizing scripture and things like that. And I believe it was um, when I was five years old that I heard the gospel actually at an Awana clubs and uh, I was convicted of my sin. Um, and I, I, I knew that I was not right with God. And it was that night that I was lying in bed and uh, just feeling very unsettled. And I went downstairs, my mom and dad were on the couch and I, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I, in essence said, mom and dad, how can I be right with God? And so they shared the gospel with me. And it was that night that I came to saving knowledge of Christ Jesus and God saved my soul. And it was, uh, I believe it was about two years later, two or three years later that I was baptized as a believer. And, uh, so that's a little bit about my, uh, about how God brought me to saving faith and about my upbringing. Uh, when I was young, um, I think it was just out of respect for my father, out of love for my father. Uh, I, I wanted to do what my father was doing. He was a pastor. I wanted to be a pastor. Uh, there wasn't anything very spiritual about that. There wasn't, I, I think, anything of the call of God with that. Uh, but uh, that was my desire from a young age. That's what I've always wanted to do is to serve God in that way. 
think it was when I was uh, in college. I went to college at uh, Northwestern College in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, recently renamed to University uh, of Northwestern St. Paul. And it was there that um, I think God really instilled a passion for um, for evangelism, for the ministry of the word, for shepherding souls. Uh, that's where God really confirmed that calling uh, to ministry. So how how did God bring me here from Minnesota? Well, uh, I served as a youth pastor when I was finished with my graduate studies. Uh, served as a youth pastor for three and a half years in Northwest Wisconsin. Uh, while I was there, I met my wife, Ashley. Uh, we've been married for 13 years now, coming up on 13 years. And uh, we met online, and she's from New England. And God brought us out here to New England um, for the purpose of serving as a pastoral assistant in Keene, New Hampshire. And then after being there for five and a half years, then God um, opened the door for me to serve here at Ludlow Baptist. And I've been here the last, uh, coming up on six years now. And it's been a real, real delight serving the Lord here in this uh, in this local assembly. Such a joy, man, to have you here in Vermont. And um, man, I was both overjoyed to meet you uh, maybe a month ago now, and also sad that we've been so close to each other and I was just now meeting you. But um, I think I have mentioned to people on this podcast and have put out feelers, but I, I know I've done it in a lot of conversations with guys who have been on this podcast. If anyone knows of anyone who has a prayer meeting at their church where people actually attend and they pray together, then let me know because I want to learn from them and I want other people to learn and to have the church kind of have this renewed passion for praying and praying together. And finally, there was these, oh, there's this brother named Jerry Schumann in Ludlow, and he's got a church that has a prayer meeting and people attend it. And I was like, what? Okay. So, man, I was about to invite you onto the podcast before even meeting you. So I, I did due diligence and and um, you've been so gracious, man, to let me learn from you personally. And then now um, to be willing to come join us here. And I'm really looking forward to you leading a breakout uh, at our Vermont Summit on May 11th. So I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, want to turn now to talking about prayer, um, what it is and what it isn't. So, um, man, maybe you can just start us out in this conversation by laying out when we talk about praying and obstacles that believers have to prayer, um, why the importance on prayer? Why would it be so important for not just individual prayers, but for the church to learn to pray together? So what is prayer? Why corporate prayer? Yeah. Get yeah. us started, man. Well, uh, I think definition of prayer um, is very simply prayer is talking to God. We can expand on that a lot more, but um, I think prayer is is fellowshipping with God through bringing our petitions, our praises, our thanksgivings, our confessions of sins to Him. Uh, we are bringing... Um, we, we have access to God through Jesus Christ, uh, to the throne of grace, and it's through prayer that we are able to receive help and mercy in our time of need. So, yeah, prayer is talking with God. I think another another um, definition that could be given is prayer is the language of faith. 
Um, if, if we have a living faith in God, then we believe that God is our Father. It's the Spirit that cries out within us, Abba, Father. Um, God is not just our Maker. He is not just our Judge. He is our Father through Jesus Christ. And so we are um, beckoned and encouraged to come to Him boldly. Um, if we have the eyes of faith, then we see our dependence upon Him, that, that apart from Christ, that we can do nothing at all. Um, so from the very first cry of faith, whether one's been saved when they were young or whether they were saved when they were an adult, from the first cry of faith, God be merciful to me, a sinner, uh, to the end of our life, to the end of our race of faith, um, prayer is the language of faith. So an implication of that is a prayerless man is a graceless man. If someone does not pray, that's evidence that God's grace is not at work in their lives. Um, whatever their profession is, if, if they don't pray, they don't know God. Now, prayer, I think, for all of us is a struggle. Uh, it, it, it can be difficult. Um, there are there, the pace of life that we might have, um, slowness to believe. Uh, there's different challenges we face. But one, um, one evidence that, that we have been regenerated, that we have been born again, is that our hearts are drawn to God, who is our Father, and we want to commune with Him in prayer. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so if the Abba cry is going to be there, and our, our hearts are going to fly to Him, and yeah. we grow in consistency, we grow in how to pray, but, but prayerlessness is uh, a lack of very important fruit. <laughs> in yep. the life of a believer. So um, I want to get to some of the obstacles or challenges that would keep believers from praying. But before we go there, so why should believers um, who, who likely struggle with prayer individually or have various levels of um, obedience to Christ in this, why should they prioritize praying together as a church? Or why should pastors listening in prioritize gathering the saints to pray together? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, like what you mentioned earlier, uh, I have, I've been part of a number of churches and uh, at, at most of the churches, the prayer meeting, if there was one at all, it was very, very poorly attended. And uh, with those who did attend, very few people actually prayed. Usually it's just a small handful that they would pray oftentimes repeatedly. And, uh, and, and that was it, maybe 15 minutes in prayer, something like that. Um, so, yeah, so what, what, what's the importance? What's the significance of corporate prayer? Well, I think there's a lot of answers to this. I, I think um, some of the most compelling answers are the example of our Lord and his disciples, and then the example of the early church. So uh, there's a number of examples where we see our Lord not only praying individually. We see that again and again. I think that's one of the greatest compelling arguments for prayer is our Lord, uh, who became like us in every respect, and yet he is the exact imprint of the divine nature. He was a man devoted to prayer, and mm -hmm. he is a man devoted to prayer. He's praying yeah, for amen. us now. Um but we, we not only see Jesus praying individually, we also see him praying corporately as well. There's a number of examples of this, but one example is, why, why was it that Judas Iscariot, when he went out to betray our Lord for 30 pieces of silver, why was it that he knew 
to go to the Garden of Gethsemane with the soldiers. Well, in John 18, it says he went there with the soldiers for Jesus often met there. Mm-hmm. He often met there. He often met there with his disciples is what it says. And and we, of course, know that Jesus went there that night to pray. Um, he, he left aside the uh, eight of the disciples kind of on the outer ring, brought the three the three disciples in with him, and then he went a little ways off from them to pray. So he's not with all of them at that time, but he often met there with his disciples, and the implication is he met there to pray. And so Judas, he had been there with Jesus and the disciples many times to pray, many times. And he almost could set his watch by it. I know where my Lord is going to be at this moment. He's going to be with his disciples in prayer. So we see the devotion, the commitment that our Lord had, and especially given the fact that Jesus, these are his last uh, hours on earth before he lays down his life. And what he wants to devote himself to, it's not just prayer individually, but prayer with his disciples. Uh, Mm. The three others, they could hear Jesus praying. He comes back. Why are you sleeping? So, So Jesus was a man who was devoted to corporate prayer. But not only Jesus, but we also see the early church that they were devoted to corporate prayer. Uh, We read in Acts 2.42 that the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And all those things are done corporately. They're all done with the the gathered congregation. So this is not speaking of individual um, prayer. This is speaking of corporate prayer. And they're devoted corporately to teaching. They're devoted corporately to the breaking of bread. I take that to mean the Lord's Supper. They're devoted to the fellowship done corporately. And they're also devoted to prayer. Um, and we see we see examples of this throughout the book of Acts, where the church is gathered together, uh, earnestly seeking God's face in prayer. And we also see that every, I, I, would, I would suggest, every significant move of the Spirit of God throughout the book of Acts is preceded by and is consummated with prayer. Mm-hmm. So, for example... Um, the Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost, and preceding that is the church is gathered every single day uh, in prayer. We see in, in, in Acts 4, um, the, there's the first whiff of persecution. Peter and John, they're threatened to no longer be speaking in the name of Jesus. Uh, they, they say they, they cannot do that. They go back with the church, and the first thing they do is they, they cry out to God. They cry out to mm-hmm. God that God would look upon the threats of the enemies of God, and then they pray, and God, make us bold. Make us bold. Help us to not cease pre- preaching the gospel. Uh, help us not be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, make us bold. And then we read that the place was shaken, and uh, the the followers of Christ were filled afresh with the Spirit of God. Uh, mm-hmm. One other example is the spread of the gospel to uh, the Gentiles. How, how did that come about? Well, that came about through the means of prayer. Uh, it was the the leaders in the church at Antioch, uh, Saul, later called Paul, Barnabas, and then other leaders, they're devoting themselves to fasting and to prayer. And as they're praying, then the Spirit of God says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. So the, the gospel comes to Gentiles like us through the means of these leaders of the church devoting themselves to prayer. So we see example after example of not just individual prayer, in the early church, but a devotion to corporate prayer. And I think the reason why 
there, why this is so significant. So this might be getting more to the question that you're asking, Ben. Um, wh why corporate prayer? So we see the example, but what, what's the significance of it? I, I think the significance of it is God is especially pleased with united, faith-filled prayer from his people. Mm -hmm. God's glorified when we are together crying out in prayer. He's glorified when we do it individually. Of course, we should be doing that. But he's particularly glorified when his, when his church, his body is gathered together with one united purpose, with a kingdom-minded um, kingdom petitions, uh, asking that God would fulfill his promises. Uh, God is pleased with that. And we see in, uh, in Matthew 18, this is in the context of church discipline, but I think there's a principle here that applies to just prayer in general. And Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Hmm. Again, the context is church discipline. The context is the authority that Christ uh, is granting the church as they're, they're uh, 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 excommunicating an erring, erring brother or sister. But uh, there's still a principle here that's true in general, where, where where two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So as the church is gathered together in united prayer, uh, God is often pleased to accomplish his great purposes through that. It's amazing, man. Um, I think, too, about when the disciples asked the Lord Jesus to teach them only one thing is recorded of them asking him to teach them anything. Yeah. And it's Lord teach us to pray. And so when he taught us to pray, all the pronouns in that prayer are plural where he's saying, I want you to pray. And he could have said, my father, just me and you here in this secret place, forgive my sins. And the whole emphasis is I've got a redeemed people for my own possession. And I want you to gather to be a dwelling for my spirit. And he's going to come and dwell with you and teach you to cry out to me together with one heart, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And uh, it is an expression of our, our oneness and our desperate dependence on him to, mm -hmm. to move and act uh, in his people and through his people for his namesake. Um, and so we have these amazing blueprint given to us in the book of Acts and in the Lord Jesus himself. So it is not surprising that we see um, that the church can be anemic or powerless or uh, um, giving way under spiritual warfare from a lack of prayer from a lack of faith. And so this is kind of a twofold question for you. One is, what are some of the biggest challenges that believers have in prayer? But I think really aiming specifically at corporate prayer. Um, that's the mm -hmm. focus of our, our specific conversation. So what are the biggest challenges that believers would have in prioritizing praying together? And then... How can praying together actually be 
the the solution to overcoming their obstacles in prayer as we as we help each other yeah i I think that one of the greatest challenges that we have to prayer in particular and corporate prayer in general is just a lack of faith we just don't have um we don't have faith in what god has god has promised and what god will bring about here on earth um there's there's a biblical there's a there's a pessimism that many people have about uh, the future um, that many people have about the expanse of the kingdom uh, about what God's promises are. There's there's brothers and sisters that you know they they're watching the news and they're seeing what's happening and things are things are in a really bad bad place here in America. There's uh, wickedness and rebellion is rampant uh and it can be easy to get discouraged and then to almost have a defeatist mindset of well this is how things will be and things will just get worse and worse until christ comes back but uh, i think that's a lack of faith and if, if we if we do not believe uh of god's promises that he's given regarding the expanse of the kingdom and what his purposes are regarding the growth of the church then we will not be motivated to prayer um, Charles Spurgeon, who was a premillennialist, uh, this is what he had to say about this. He's, uh, he, he preached a sermon on Psalm 86, 9, which says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And this is what, what he said. He said, David was not a believer in the theory that the world would grow worse and worse, and that the dispensation would wind up with general darkness and idolatry. Earth's sun is to go down amid tenfold night if some of our prophetic brethren are to be believed. Not so do we expect, but we look for a day when the dwellers in all lands shall learn righteousness, shall trust in the Savior, shall worship thee alone, O God, and shall glorify thy name. The modern notion has greatly dampened the zeal of the church for missions, and the sooner it is shown to be unscriptural, the better for the cause of God. It neither consorts with prophecy, honors God, nor inspires the church with ardor. Far hence be it driven. So, mm. so he says his focus is upon missions, uh, that this defeatist mentality, things are, are really bad, and they're just going to get worse and worse and worse. We should expect no great advances for the kingdom, no great advances for the gospel. He says this greatly dampens the zeal of missions, but certainly that applies to prayer too. If we don't have um, faith, in what Christ has promised regarding the advance of the kingdom, then we are not going to be motivated to earnest prayer. Uh, but if we have an eye to see that, just for example, uh, God has promised, Daniel 2, that the kingdom of heaven is like a stone cut up by no human hand, that it comes down and it smashes this statue, which is the kingdom of the world, kingdoms of this world. And then this stone grows to become a mountain that fills the whole earth. Yeah. That that's what God has promised. Uh Christ has promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh Psalm 2, God promised to the son. Uh this is Psalm of David speaking prophetically of of David's greater son to come, ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. So Christ has been faithful unto death. He's been exalted at God's right hand because of his obedience. God the Father has given the nations to Jesus Christ, and they will come. 
They will come. They they, they will come uh, in repentance and faith as the gospel is proclaimed. So, you know, laboring here in Vermont, uh, this is the last I checked. You, you might know, Ben, but this is the least religious state in the union. Uh, we just passed a constitutional amendment last year uh, uh, in, instituting the right to kill preborn babies. Uh, you know, there is there's a, a, a great spiritual darkness in this state. And yet, do we believe that the gospel is going to advance? Yeah. Do we believe that the church will continue to grow and expand and the lost will be saved and gathered in and people come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do we believe that um, in God's timing that uh, politicians, governors, state senators, state uh, representatives, do we believe that they're going to be nursing fathers and nursing mothers to the church? Well, yes, God's promised that in Isaiah. So if we believe these promises, then that's going to encourage us to walk by faith and not to walk by sight. And if we're walking by faith, then we're going to be motivated to prayer. Man, and I think too, you know, part of that unbelief is we there has to have be a... Um, a lack of faith in that prayer is actually going to move the needle. So it's yep. like, it's, it's twofold. And, and we see this in small town, New England, right? The narrative mm-hmm. is it's really hard here. The soil's really tough. And the gospel is miraculous when it gets sown, but it's hard to penetrate that soil to get it in. Mm-hmm. And the general narrative is that uh, without saying it explicitly is we are a weak and powerless church with no real weapons at our disposal and mm-hmm. everything around us is super tough mm-hmm. and we're just gonna we're just gonna wait it out and hope something changes mm-hmm. and um the church may pray and not see god move mm-hmm. how they hoped but they're not going to see god move with this miraculous power that we hope for, or maybe that we've lost a vision for apart from prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you and I were talking sometimes I think even, um, bad applications of sound theology could get you there. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, we love that God is sovereign and he works everything according to his will. And so I've lost sight of how my praying fits into the outworking of his sovereign, gracious plan in my community. So how would you exhort brothers and sisters listening in that, that may be there? Maybe they, they're either so discouraged from not seeing God answer prayers the way that they hoped. They've lost a vision for the effectiveness of prayer, or they, or they just haven't even worked it out theologically. How do my prayers play into the outworking of God's gracious plan. What would you say to those guys? Yeah, great question. Uh, and this is where um, I think just letting our theology be informed by the word of God and not coming to uh, what we might think are logical conclusions from certain doctrines. So we we believe that God is absolutely sovereign. God works out all things according to the purpose of his will. No purpose of his shall be thwarted. He declares the end, and the end from the beginning uh, whatever God purposes shall certainly be accomplished. But uh, that doesn't mean that prayer is unnecessary, uh, that God will accomplish his purposes apart from prayer. I, I've heard it said by some Reformed brothers, uh, 
we shouldn't view prayer as um, this is how God accomplishes his purpose. Instead, prayer is for ourselves. Prayer is to change us. Uh, prayer is not to change God. Prayer is to change us. And so it changes our hearts and it changes our desires. And certainly that's true. Uh, I wouldn't say that prayer changes God. I wouldn't put it that way. But what we certainly see is that God is sovereign not only over the ends. He's also sovereign over the means. Yeah. He, he's ordained that the gospel is going to go out to all the nations. That the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. But he's ordained that that's accomplished in, in, in part uh, through prayer. It's going to happen through prayer. Yeah. Other things as well, but prayer is one of the means by which that is accomplished. John, John Calvin put it this way. He said, prayer is how we dig up treasures that are pointed out by our Lord's gospel. There are glorious treasures that God has promised to us in the gospel, and the way that we receive them is through prayer. Mm-hmm. And so we see this again and again in Scripture, um, that, uh, for example, in James 4, uh, you do not have because you do not ask. There, there's things that God would give, that God would be delighted to give, but we don't ask, and so we do not have. Um, God's sovereign over the ends as well as the means. Another example is um, in uh, God, God gave the promise through the prophet Jeremiah that the people of Israel would be in exile for 70 years. And then it's Daniel, many decades later, he's doing his Bible study through the scroll of Jeremiah, and he finds out that that's what God has promised, that after 70 years, that God is going to have mercy upon his people and he's going to bring them out of exile. So Daniel in exile, he sees this. And what he's motivated to do is not just to just sit back and say, all right, it's going to be accomplished. But what he's motivated to do is to pray. And so we mm-hmm. read that prayer in Daniel 9, and Daniel is praying a prayer of confession, but he's also uh, pleading with God, God, you have promised, bring about your word, fulfill, fulfill your promise to us. And yeah. then, of course, God answers that promise. And so we just see this again and again. God's given these promises in his word, and God's sovereignty isn't an impediment to prayer it's a support for prayer. The fact mm-hmm. that God is sovereign and no purpose of his can be thwarted should encourage us to pray fervently for the advance of the gospel here in New England. Mm. Yeah, I think, isn't it Ezekiel 38 where you see God making all these promises like, I will do this, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then he has there toward the end, this I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. So mm-hmm. he's, it's like all this packed promises and um, and then... He's saying, I'm going to let you be part of seeing my promises enacted in you asking me to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's beautiful, man. So, all right, um, let's say that uh, some pastors listening in are like, man, yes, I've gotten away from this. Or our prayer meeting has dwindled down and it's just been something that I've mainly been frustrated with. Um, but I believe these things. I just, I want to see it revived and, and fruitful again. So, um, let's get into some practical considerations for this. We'll start with the negative and then we'll go positive from there. So (laughs) what are some ways that prayer meetings can be ineffective or kind of get uh, off track? So you had these thoughts that you were going to get the church together to pray and it was going to be so amazing. And then you mainly gathered prayer requests the whole time 
you know, left five minutes for prayer and everybody mainly prayed about their sick grandmother or their, you know, dog that was lost. So, you know, what are some things to be on the lookout for and how you can, um, kind of rein in some of the, the ways that these, uh, prayer meetings can get off the tracks? Yeah, I, 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 there are, uh, many, many ways that the prayer meeting can go astray and not be as edifying, uh, for those that are there. I think, I think one is one that you mentioned, not leaving a lot of time for prayer. And that's something that I need to be on guard against at times. So we, we meet once a week, Wednesday nights for an hour for prayer. Uh, we open up with, uh, a couple hymns. Uh, I give a brief devotional about, I try to be no longer than 15 minutes, um, and the purpose of the devotional is I, um, prayer needs to be filled with the word and to hear the word can be such an encouragement for prayer and can guide us in our prayers. And so I want to spend a little bit yeah. of time in prayer. And then we have, I try to keep it very concise for sharing prayer requests. Um, and then I want to devote at least 20 to 25 minutes in corporate prayer. Um, that could be a struggle at times, but I, you know, we're there to pray. And so I don't want to be sharing prayer requests the whole time. I want to keep that as condensed as possible. Um, if we're going through the word on a, on a weekly basis and we're being guided and instructed on what kinds of things we ought to pray for, then we're going to know what to pray for. We don't need, um, we don't need the weekly report on all the health needs. The health, it's great to pray for health needs. Um, but there are more important things to pray for than health needs. There's kingdom-minded uh, purposes to be to be praying for, and so uh, we want to fold in those health needs in those kingdom-minded purposes, and not be devoted only on that. So, not leave much time for prayer, um, not praying kingdom-minded prayers as well, where it's just all all tied up with health needs or with with uh, with wealth needs, things like that, you know, job or or whatever it might be. That's that's another thing. And along that line, um, my pastor back in college and graduate school uh, was John Piper, and he gave an illustration that I've always found really helpful. He said, prayer is not a, um, it is not a domestic intercom for our comforts. It's a wartime walkie-talkie. And I've always found that to be helpful. So it's not, you know, you have a... I don't, many people don't have domestic intercoms. It's kind of a little bit of obsolete <laughs> analogy, <laughs> but you have your domestic intercom and you're in the den and you press it and you say, you know, can I have a blanket or can I have a, a drink or whatever? It's just give me some comforts here. I'm a little bit uncomfortable. That's not the way we should approach prayer. Uh, prayer is a wartime walkie talkie. We're the church militant. Uh, God has called us to the glorious purpose of kingdom advance and that Christ be honored and glorified in his church here on earth. And there are great needs that we need to be praying for. And so we want to be having that earnestness in prayer, uh, crying out to our Father in heaven, Father, we, we need this. Uh, provide for us in this way. Sustain us in this way. Help us to keep our eyes on Christ. So uh, that's another way that the prayer meeting can go astray. It's, just, it's all caught up in, 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 in health and wealth rather than a kingdom-minded focus. And then another one is just sim- simply people not praying. People are present, but they're not praying. And it's just a small handful of people that, that pray. So I think those are some ways that the prayer meeting can go astray. Yeah. And I think too, man, how, if it's not organized or if it's not like you just described a pretty structured prayer meeting and people kind of know what to expect. And there's, 
you have some singing and you've got people warming their hearts at the fires of God's word. And that by itself is something to learn from you. Because I think sometimes if people just gather believers and there's no real structure and then people felt like either they didn't get to prayer or it was just kind of awkward and, um, yeah, they didn't really know what to do. There was no guidance. Then that's going to keep people from, from showing up too. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they need shepherding. How would you get, how would you get people involved to show up, but don't pray? I think the greatest encouragement that I've received and that I tried to give to others is, is to remember that God is our father. Um, he loves us. He loves us with a, a greater love than we can imagine. A, a lot of times people that are fearful of praying or that don't pray, they're often fearful of praying and they're fearful of praying publicly. They, they don't know what to say, or they're afraid that they'll start praying and they'll lose their train of thought halfway through, or, you know, they just don't know what to say. And my encouragement to them has been, um, Remember that God is your father, that he loves you. And if you had a faithful father here, faithful earthly father, you would never feel nervous in coming to him if you needed something. You wouldn't be thinking about how, how do I phrase it? Um, you'd, you'd come um, expectantly. You'd come, you'd, you'd come eagerly to your, fa- your earthly father. And how much more so should we go to our father in heaven? Yeah. Um, you, you know, we, we come bringing our requests as presented through our great high priest. And so even if we're not phrasing the, the prayer exactly right, God, God knows. God knows our hearts, and those prayers are sanctified through the work of our great high priest. And so um, that's, my, that's been my encouragement. And uh, it's a joy. We have, by God's grace, we have anywhere from maybe 15 to 30 people that come to our prayer meetings. But perhaps the most encouraging part is, just about everybody prays. Mm-hmm. And it is such an encouragement. I'm so encouraged. It's the highlight of my week to hear my brothers and sisters pray. I love to hear them crying out to God. And um, so, yeah, I think just remembering that God's our father and we don't need to be fearful. We're, there not, we're not there praying to impress other people. And so, therefore, we're not going to be fearful of, of not sounding impressive. <laughs> we're praying there yeah. to go to our father in heaven. Man, we had our our prayer meeting last night, and it was so encouraging to me to hear people in the flock praying in response to what we read and and crying out to God for the same things that I'm crying out to Him for. And it just had this bolstering effect for me. Like, I'm I'm not alone in these desires as a pastor, there's a a church here, people who love the Lord that want to see these same things. And I get to lead them in asking him for what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is so encouraging and so enriching. And I've encouraged people with that um, same passage from Romans eight. It's like, well, we actually know that we don't know how to pray as we are. Like this categorically, he just says that we don't know how to pray. So if you don't feel like you know how to pray, you're in great company. But he's just subsidizing our prayers with his own and and just making them better and acceptable. So uh, there's a great relief there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that counsel is some ways that you may have sought to encourage uh, the church to prayer. What are some other ways that you've kind of given some, either some handheld holds for people to get to the prayer meeting or you've helped them there? Um, that How have you guys cultivated a 
this spirit of prayer desire to be at the corporate prayer meeting at Ludlow? A few different things. So preaching on prayer, that's something I did when I first came here um, about six years ago, preaching on the importance of corporate prayer, just encouraging people that this is what God's called us to. This is a privilege uh, to to just prioritize this, even if this is way out of your comfort zone or or the thought of praying for 30 minutes with others is just sounds um, overwhelming, but um, to, to, to prioritize this and then to press on with this too. And um, it becomes a delight as we're, we're pressing on faithfully. Uh, another way is we have a, um, a weekly prayer guide that I put out uh, and it, what it does is it focuses on the front part on praying for our own church, for, for different needs within our own church. Some are health needs. Some are just, um, uh, they're on a rotating basis, like praying for our elders. Here are ways you can pray for the elders. Here are ways you can pray for the deacons, praying for the marriages in our church and things like that. And on the backside of the prayer guide, we want to be encouraging um, a kingdom mindset, as I've said a couple of times. And part of that includes um, praying praying for other things that are related to the kingdom. So on the backside of the sheet, we have praying for local churches. And so I'm reaching out to local evangelical churches and asking, what are what are ways that we can rejoice with you and how God is at work? And then what are ways that we can be praying for you? So we have that included on the back, sheet, back part of the sheet. We pray for uh, our missionaries that we support as a church family. And we include updates from them and prayer requests from them because we want to be... Um, we don't want to just be token supporters of missionaries. We want to be um, diligent, faithful, prayerful supporters of missionaries because that's fundamentally what they, they need. They need the prayer support. Uh, another part on the back there is praying for government of- officials, whether it's uh, President Biden uh, all the way down to our local law enforcement officers. We're, we're commanded to pray for those in authority. And uh, we, in a day and age where there's so much um, b- bad authorities, lawless authorities, godless authorities. We especially need to be praying for them. Mm-hmm. And then we, we're also praying for the nations too. And so we go through all the nations of the world and um, we'll, we'll pray for them. This last week we were praying for um, the nation of Ethiopia. And so um, uh, tomorrow night is our prayer meeting and we'll be looking at the next country. So those are other ways that we just want to be expanding what 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 is God doing, and how can that be directing our prayers? Another benefit with this too is th- this cuts down on the sharing of prayer requests. I don't repeat any of the stuff here in the prayer guide. We hand it out to them, um, and I I say you know I encourage you to look through this as we're going to be going to God in prayer in a little bit. But I'm not going to um, emphasize these things. They can read it, and so that just allows for more time to um, be devoted to prayer while still helping to focus the prayers that we have. Yeah, that's so good, man, and helpful. All right. Well, I so appreciate your time today, man. And I want to give you opportunity to give a parting word of encouragement. Um, fellow pastors either looking to establish a prayer meeting or want to see theirs flourish. Maybe they're feeling hopeful after listening to this. Um, maybe they're feeling uh, overwhelmed or they want to be there, but may just feel um, jealous for it, but not the energy for it. So Man, how would you encourage uh, churches and pastors who are listening in with a parting word? Yeah. Well, I would encourage them first, um, 
be prayerful about it. That's the, the most important thing is be, yeah. be praying, be praying. Uh, if there, if the prayer meeting is not prioritized or there's not even a prayer meeting in the church or it's poorly attended, whatever it might be, is the first thing that we need to be doing is we need to be praying. If there's repentance that, that, uh, that, that we need to have, then let it begin with us, you know, um, asking God for mercy for our own prayerlessness. So I, I think just devoting ourselves to prayer, praying that God would work within the hearts of our church family, that they would see the importance of prayer and that they would prioritize it. I think another step is prioritize the prayer meeting. If, if you're a pastor of a local church, talk to your fellow elders and talk to them about the importance of a prayer meeting. Perhaps uh, point them to this podcast here. It might be of benefit to them of just the priority that there is in prayer that we see in the Old and especially the New Testament. Uh, and schedule a prayer meeting. Let that be a priority where this is taking precedence over other things. We, we, we don't have a midweek children's uh club here, like an Awana here at the church. And it's not because we don't desire it. I, I grew up, uh, you know, all my formative years when I was a child and then even into my teens, either being part of Awana or helping with Awana. So I think Awana can be a great benefit, but we, we don't have one here at the church, at least not yet, uh, because we have our midweek prayer meeting and we haven't, being able to schedule two things would be tough, but we said, boy, we'd love to have the Awana, but no, we need to have the prayer meeting. This takes priority because we're called to this. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not called to have an Awana. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think prioritizing the prayer meeting, letting this be part of the weekly schedule um, where that gives an opportunity for folks to be able to come. I think another encouragement is just be teaching on prayer, teaching and preaching on prayer to the church family. Um, the spirit is willing that the flesh is weak. It's, it, it, is, it can be a challenge for people to pray, to see the importance of prayer, but um, nothing can produce with the desire for prayer like simply having the word of God preached and seeing what God's word says about prayer and what God has promised to do through prayer. And then I think the final encouragement I'd have is just be patient. Be patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't get discouraged. Encourage them. Uh, be thankful to God for the evidences of uh, prayerfulness that you see in the church. Um, remember how patient God has been with you in in you coming to an understanding of uh, the importance of prayer uh, of corporate prayer. This wasn't a desire of mine uh, for for decades. It wasn't until uh, really my early twenties that uh, that God laid this upon my heart. So I'm I'm in a different position than you, Ben. Where you know I think you said that uh, this has been something that you've you've grown up with. Uh, but, uh, you know, God, God was patient with me. And so as we're exhorting our brothers and sisters, we also want to be patient with them as well. Yeah. Just keep incur- encouraging them, encouraging them. Hmm. So good. Well, brother, thank you so much. Um, it's been a, a rich discussion, um, full of encouragement from the spirit of God toward this end. So thank you for the time and allowing him to use you to bless us and help us. And uh, I am excited if anybody listening in is anywhere near Vermont on May 11th, uh, Jerry is going to be hosting a breakout with the same topic. So if this has been a blessing to you and you're nearby, bring uh, a lot of your friends or congregants and um, come join us and be refreshed to that end. So brother, thank you for your time. 
You're very welcome. I mean, enjoyed it. I am so thankful to Jerry for his time. I told him right after that episode that I am so thankful that when you cut that brother, he bleeds the Bible. And I pray that he would do the same in us, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly, and that the Lord would use this episode to encourage all of us to seek his face in prayer together as his church. Uh, Thank you again for listening. And reminder that we have summits coming up for Vermont and New Hampshire, May 11th and June 1st, respectively. We would love to have you to join us, for you to bring uh, other leaders or people in your church that you would love to be further equipped with you. So please check out both of those summits on our website, www.smalltownsummits.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.